This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. And welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan, and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today I'll be talking to a pair of expatriate artists about the rewards and challenges of working overseas and returning home. But first, here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the local art scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, we've been going through strange times with Omicron, but there's plenty of art going on in Dunedin, notwithstanding that. What's on at the moment? At RDS Gallery through April, Michael Greaves continues his exploration of painting and its relation to memory. Michael is a teacher at the Dunedin School of Art, and his paintings explore line, colour and shape, and they always surprise and stimulate. His new show is entitled The Promise and the Fall. Kishana Bush's new show at Brett McDowell Gallery continues until April the 21st. Her current show is on embossed paper, which she has embossed herself, so that's another new element to her work. Then on April the 22nd, Brett McDowell has a show by Chris Weaver, the ceramicist. Recently I had the pleasure of visiting Chris in a studio outside Hokitika. I was looking for one of his iconic black teapots with a distinctive wooden handle. It was great to chat with Chris and share our experiences of visiting Japan and also to see where he produces his meticulous work. I also got one of his black teapots. Oh, well done you. (laughs) Chris specialises in domestic wear and is known for his boat-shaped teapots, serving dishes and salt glazes. Chris sees design as an integral part of his craft and recently his designs have been cubist in form. And Ross, I believe Gallery De Novo has another stunning new show by Ewan McDougall. That's right. Until April the 7th, Gallery De Novo has an exhibition by McDougall called Stripeyism. And guess what? I'm guessing it's full of stripy people and stripy animals. Oh, that was too easy, Sally, but you've got it. The title is something of a spoiler. This colourful and exuberant show will be followed by an exhibition of Janet De Watt's work as part of the Wild Dunedin Festival. Janet uses posters and prints she's collected as a basis for her environmentally themed paintings. The show is called Fishy Flakes. There might be a spoiler alert there. The artist's room has Sam Foley's show Last Light in the Garden. I'm finishing in early April and he'll be followed by popular Christchurch painter Harriet Miller. Harriet's paintings have a narrative theme based on rural activities and scenes. She's been described as a modern-day Trevor Moffat. From April the 3rd to the 21st, the PC Gallery in Port Chalmers has two local artists showing. James Sutherland is Head of Visual and Performing Arts at St Hilda's College and he is showing oil portraits of modern-day believers or proponents of their truths. Jan Sadell has a new series of lino prints conjuring narratives bound up with myths and folklore. And check out PC's weekly life drawing sessions each Wednesday. Gosh, there's a lot going on there, Ross. And um, what's going on at DPAG at the moment? Well, from April the 9th, the DPAG is showing a recent video work by Jasmine Togo Brisby, filmed on location at Koputai, Port Chalmers. 
This work focuses on the former slave ship known as the Don Juan, which now lies as a wreck in Tebra Bay. And with the lifting of COVID restrictions, we may well see more activity at DPAG, so please check their website for new events. Society members, of course, get regular updates on what's on, and remember that members also get a generous 20% discount at the gallery shop. And what a fabulous shop it is too, Ross. Thanks for that. And now it's time for our feature item. This month on Sightlines, we're talking to two artists who have their roots in Dunedin but have flown the coop to work and live overseas. Pete Wheeler returned to Dunedin in 2019 after 12 years in Berlin. Pete graduated from Otago Polytech School of Fine Art in 2000 and subsequently completed a Master of Fine Arts. He is a painter who has had 16 solo shows in New Zealand, Australia, the US and Europe. His work is held in various notable collections, including the James Wallace Collection in Auckland, the Zabludowitz Collection in London and the Martin Sosnoff Collection in New York. And Pete was a finalist in the James Wallace Trust Awards in 2017. Pete, welcome to Sightlines. Thank you for having me, Sally. It's a pleasure. Now, Craig Easton left New Zealand in the mid-1980s to live in Melbourne and more recently China. Craig has a BA in history from Otago, a fine degree to have if I do say so myself, and a PhD from the Victorian College of Arts. He is an abstract artist across a variety of media who's held 36 solo exhibitions over 25 years and his works are held in numerous major collections across New Zealand, Australia and Asia, including but by no means limited to the National Gallery of Victoria, the Shangyan Opera House, the Federal Court of Australia and, like Pete, the Wallace Art Trust. Craig, welcome to you also. Thank you. So, Pete and Craig, I want to start by saying to both of you, welcome home. Although, actually, you've both been back for quite a while, as it turns out. So, Craig, I think you, like many others, uh, have been stranded in New Zealand due to COVID. Yeah, definitely due to COVID. Not that it's been a bad thing (laughs) in every way. But no, I'd been in Shanghai and I came back to Melbourne in the middle of 2019 to put on a show of Chinese, New Zealand, Australian artists. And then I thought I'll come to Dunedin, spend a few months visiting family, then go back to Shanghai. So my plane was booked out for February 2020, and we know what happened. (laughs) Yes, the rest is history. And I gather that you're soon departing again. Yeah, um, sort of, you know, two minds about it, but Mm. it's probably time I got back to Melbourne to decide if I'm going to be there, or is there any way to get back to China. Pretty tricky at the moment, isn't it? Or come back here. Well, we will see what we can do to persuade you of the wisdom of that decision. (laughs) And Pete, what saw you return to Dunedin? Uh, Originally, we actually just planned on a holiday uh, after the birth of my third child. Um, And in a way, we actually got stuck here in the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. And during that time, we decided that we were living out in Broad Bay and it was quite a pleasant life out there. And yeah, we decided to move to New Zealand permanently or for the next chapter of our lives. Uh, so we actually shot back to Berlin um, at the end of 2020 and then actually fully relocated in last year, 2021. Right. Oh, so we get the bonus package of five of you, not just yourself. That's Excellent. Right, true. So rewinding a bit, both of you, I think, went to school in Dunedin. And Craig, though you left many moons ago uh, mm. and went to Melbourne. So what drove that decision in the first instance? Um, it was just that age, you know, getting on. In the late 80s, Dunedin was a little bit grey, <laughs> hadn't really <laughs> discovered its potential, let's say. 
and you know most of my friends had moved on and a lot of bands that I followed had sort of moved as well and I was working in advertising and Melbourne was a kind of much bigger place for that kind of environment mm. and it was the 80s so it was this kind of lifestyle thing happening that just hadn't really been on your horizon before that yeah. so yeah bright lights bigger place bigger yeah, opportunities all that. Pete, your trajectory was a bit different and involved staying in Dunedin and, and making an early and very successful start as an artist. Yeah, Can you tell correct, us about yeah. that? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, after I graduated art school, um, I think I'd had a $45,000 student loan. And so my objective was now, you know, I'm to be an artist. And like Craig said, a lot of his friends moved away, so did mine, and they went to Wellington. Um, and I knew that if I went to Wellington, I'd probably have some medial job flipping burgers or digging gardens. So I just basically set up a studio here um, and knew that if I could just create a discipline of making work on a regular basis and um, getting together a body of work and then I can go from there, get right. gallery representation, etc. Gosh, $45,000 from the BNZ, I think it was, for a 22-year-old. <laughs> That's a large amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> so you subsequently... Um, I think, had an offer to go to Berlin. Yes, I did, yeah. A friend of mine that actually had been through art school um, in Dunedin as well, he had um, purely visited Berlin for a weekend and as a classic Kiwi, he ended up buying a property. So I was invited to go and I had free accommodation. So What's not to love about that? Yeah. And why Berlin in particular? I mean, my understanding is that it was a pretty cool place to be at that stage, but was there anything about Berlin that attracted you in particular, apart from the free accommodation? Uh, yeah, historically, there's some things there. I mean, I always was interested in Europe and in general, and I kind of had a fascination with uh, Second World War history and things like that. But particularly at that time in painting, was there was a resurgence in young German painters uh, that was kind of bringing on from the neo-abstract expressionists mm. and because it was combined with cheap living and it was fairly cosmopolitan it just felt like a place to be. Yeah, very cool place to live. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess Craig for you, um, you went to Melbourne, also a very cool place to live. Yeah. And you were working I think initially as a copywriter but then you had a yeah. rush of blood to the head. Yeah, after about <laughs> five years of that I realised um, it, it was creative, sure, but it was to order for someone else. And yeah, it was more like you were bashing your head against a wall. So art school had always kind of been in my list. So yeah, I just dove into that. I was at RMIT for an honours degree, a master's degree. And I just couldn't stop really I found it after that working environment just this really positive thing I know a lot of people have trouble at art mm. school but because I'd come from a kind of constrained creativity I found the level you could work at at an art school was just like freedom it's bursting so, out of you yeah so it was six yeah. days a week working in the middle of the city with a studio and then when that when I'd done with my masters, it was, you know, I had galleries in Melbourne, Sydney and Canberra fairly early on. And there's also an incredibly strong um, artist-run scene in Melbourne. It's mm. the thing that really makes it work. And I think, you know, Germany's quite known for that too. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and so between sort of institutions, commercial dealers and artist-run, you've just got you've got this whole world. Mm. So I was constantly 
sort of feeling like I should be going somewhere else, but you also felt like you'd found it. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it was a very hard city for me to leave. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in due course you, you did end up going somewhere else because in fact, well in the first instance you came back to Dunedin and there was a sentinel visit to the Chinese garden oh. as I recall it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, even after 10 years of exhibiting, you kind of start to feel like at some point Pete may have the same moments where you're on a bit of a treadmill. You think, mm. oh well, well there's going to be a show with this dealer next year, then mm. be another one two years later. Mm. And I wanted to get some of that excitement I'd had at art school because, mm. I mean, I was really into the writing as well, the history. You know, it's kind of passionate, little bits of curating. So anyway, I was thinking about PhDs, wondering how I was going to approach it. A trip to Lan Yuan when it was new and just something was triggered. You know, the idea that I was walking through some sort of abstract painting. Mm. I did some research, found out that's exactly what the literati who created those things were doing and realised I could make something out of this that would take me into a completely alien world. Mm. You know, and that included, well, that level of research, I guess, at the VCA, but also trips to China and falling in love with it. And so I think I read somewhere that you... You got to Shanghai as part of your PhD once you'd got that underway. And you got there and basically in your own mind there was a decision made that that's where you you wanted to be. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, that story. It was just really being out on a Friday night, pouring rain, downtown Shanghai, lights everywhere like in a rock video or something. Mm. And I'm coughing my lungs out because I've got bronchitis. I've been at hospital there the other day to see about it. School had sent me, they were so terrified about <laughs> sending me back in a crate or something. But yeah, even in that state, you're just going, this place is so amazing, so energising. Yeah. Cough, cough. Um, I've got to find a way to come here. You know, I'm in an alternative universe. It was like, you know, being in a Murakami novel where you've got yeah. this other world, this portal you've walked into. And weirdly enough, that's kind of what the Chinese gardens are all about. Pete, you must have had similar experiences when you got to Berlin, did you? That just this whole bigger place, this whole bigger breadth of experience that you can draw on in your oh, work. Yeah, totally. I think uh, there was this feeling of like huge opportunity um, and that little bit of like Kiwi know-how, like you just be like, yeah. I can make this work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my first studio there was uh, in an old brewery and it was... I had about a space of like 400 square metres. I mean, I had no windows, but it it, it was kind of like a rite of passage. Mm. That's how mm. I felt. And it was all achievable. And, and like Craig mentioned, like there, we just actually made our own shows and our own gallery. And just it was all street level. And I think uh, there was something exciting and edgy mm. about it. But then you do start to run into problems where, like, how do you make this sustainable? Yes. And, uh, that, you know, in theory, these things can all be really exciting, but at, at some point you need to keep paying your bills. Yes, at the end of the yeah. day you've got to earn a living. Yeah. Or so f- find out where the compromise line is. Mm. It's, you know, how much, how little, in my case it was always, how little do I need to sustain? <laughs> but, you know, you've got a family... Now I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so you, that, that changes, you know. Mm. Um, I was full of bravado back then. Um, weren't we all at yeah. that age? Weren't we all? 
So Craig, your way of making it work for a while was to was to complete your PhD. Yeah, I mean that was kind of a thing that was happening in Australia. Yeah. And yeah. then, but then you moved on. You actually went to. You lived in China. You've had a partner in China, yeah. and you've been working as an artist in China for for how many years? Um, it's really between uh, early 2016 and mid 2019. Mm. Yeah, when, as I said, I came back to this part of the world for yeah. a visit and a show. Um, and here we still are. So, if we could put it in a nutshell, what's China been able to offer you? As an um, artist, if that's not too big a question, how's it impacted your work? I mean, Pete, you know, said the golden word opportunity. It's just you kind of shake. Actually, you don't even have to shake the tree. I used to say that was possible in Melbourne to a degree, but in China, it's just like you're in this big flow of people. Every time you go out, like Joyce and I would say, "Hey, go, let's go to an opening tonight." And at the end of the night, you would always find someone you'd met Mm. who was talking about collaborating, doing a show. Sometimes, you know, literally you would get a WeChat message that night and it was like, can you send us a work plan for a show we're doing um, on a mountainside outside Nanjing? Mm. You know, Mm. Christmas Day a couple, it's now about four years ago, you know, at a restaurant, we get a message, do you want to come up to Shenyang? to do a project in a K-11 mall. There are these giant art malls. Mm. They've got these art museums inside them. You know, yeah, can you do me a project? And what they mean is, can you get back to us that night <laughs> with an outline? <laughs> you Christmas know, Day, not much to ask, is it? Yeah. So, but yeah. is it more than just the scale of it? I mean, we all know that bigger cities offer more opportunities, whichever walk of life you're in, really. But isn't, isn't it, is it also about the culture in China and how yeah. they relate to art as a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all know how old China's culture is. Well, with that comes their art and poetry, you know, and it's there in their writing and calligraphy. Mm. So it is absolutely central. And it didn't really matter where I was showing because it could be in galleries or it could be, you know, these outdoor projects where you meet people from all walks of life. Mm. It was like, you know, I'll say everyone, but it's not everyone, but most people you met had this kind of respect, this deep respect for what you were doing, even if they didn't understand it. They liked the idea Mm. that some people were able to do this in society and were making art happen for them and not necessarily understanding your work, but they just wanted to see it going on. And Mm. that was quite an eye-opener for me. You know, and then the artists themselves, just their desire to start collaborations you know, and to invite you into their group, you know, once you'd shown that you weren't a carpet bagger, you weren't just going to be off on the next plane or something. There was a kind of openness and a desire to make things happen. Mm, mm. So, you know, as an artist, if you've got that happening around you all the time, and also people are working in a multidisciplinary sort of fashion, Actually, some of them would work with fashion. You know, and all of this was really new to me, the idea that, okay, as an artist, I can really open up. So you're collaborating with, you know, I'd always used a bit of sound, but suddenly I was collaborating with musicians for shows, um, with architects, looking at fashion options, all with this kind of fine art context, but just the idea that you can reach out 
mm. further than you'd ever thought was possible. Yeah. So a big question for you too then, Peter. Someone who's worked very successfully as a career artist in both New Zealand and Europe, what, what do you think are the key differences? Or I guess to boil it down, what did Berlin offer you that Dunedin New Zealand can't and perhaps vice versa as well? Well, first off, that Europe would have access just to uh, museums. Um, where that you know, growing up in New Zealand, what I saw and my my art history knowledge was from books, mm. and I guess being able to physically c- go and stand in front of um, a Kiefer painting or a Baselitz or a Gerhard Richter or it shows or whoever. Up my spine just thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, there, there's something to be said about that, and being able to go to Documenta and Venice Biennale and. Mm. And it's not always an immediate thing that you kind of spew it back out onto a canvas. And I think what's kind of funny is that I'm probably processing Berlin now mm. in my work. Mm. Um, so you keep drawing on those resources as an ongoing yeah. thing. Is that for you, the same yeah. for you, Craig? I was just thinking that's a really nice way of explaining it because, you know, you were asking me earlier, had my, did I feel my work had changed? And, you know, I've reduced scale because I'm working in a very small studio here. And, you know, and I've gone back to a sort of more straight kind of painting instead mm, of yeah. installation and architectural approaches. That thing of having experienced China in the sense of living there amidst it all and, yeah, that access to endless shows, museums and all of those artists you met, they, all, those shows have all, all happened in Shanghai as well. Mm. It's such a centre that everyone at some point gets there. So it's... It's well, it seems Shanghai has almost been Europeanised yeah. by like Western art and like the heavyweights. Or of, it was been. Yeah, or the heavyweights of of, of European yeah, particularly art. German. Yeah. yeah. There was an amazing yeah. Basilet show at the Pagoda. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and a Kiefer and Chunks. So yeah. it just gets in, you know, yeah. just soaks in to the work. You can't leave it behind. It's endless stimulation. Yeah. But the yeah. same with the PhD. That's the thing I wanted a platform that would kind of carry me in. So, Pete, if we could put, again put it in a nutshell, how did Berlin impact your work? Are there, direct, are there directions that you think you've gone in creatively that perhaps you wouldn't have taken had you remained in New Zealand? Possibly. I think most of those things are uh, uh, subconscious in a way. Um, I think I've done something for so long, I don't necessarily have to think what I'm doing. It's often in reflection or other people will see it. Whenever I've produced a catalogue and had someone write they've always taken that angle like I come from a European perspective mm. but on the flip side you know I, I lived in Berlin I was married to a German I have three children that were born there and that's as much a part of me and as a part of my making and influences my work just as much mm. um, so Craig, you, you were saying for yourself that since being back in New Zealand you, you, the scale of your work has has diminished um, in terms of the, the, the literal size of the stuff that you're doing. Are there any other ways in which being back in New Zealand has impacted on your work, on what you're doing? It's probably feeling a little bit more, let's say, personal, memory-based. Mm. You know, there's that thing of longing, you know, for something else, but at the same time, you know, and somewhere else, but at the same time you're confronted with yeah. all of your past and Dunedin <laughs> has its own energies so yeah I really don't know how easily I can hmm. do you think that, that, that both of you think that perhaps you uh, appreciate what 
Dunedin, New Zealand has to offer differently as you get older? Well, that thing of peace <laughs> and space, you know, I was addicted to the intensity of life in Shanghai. You know, mm. I wouldn't pretend that Melbourne ever had that intensity, mm. but it's taken me a long time to wind down from that daily, weekly kind of thing there. So, but now after two and a half years of kind of being caught here, I've started to, I've realised, relax into it. And right. maybe, you know, my, the work, I, I have produced a lot while I've been here. You know, most of it's going to go back to Australia, but... Well, it's it, not because you're going to stay. I think we've we've settled that already <laughs> earlier in the show, Craig. So, um. But, I mean, it's just got its own rhythm now, you know. Mm. And mm. It, it's a new one. I just didn't know it was happening, Great. I guess. So you've both come back to New Zealand, and obviously you're in a great position, each of you, to compare and contrast different art worlds, if you like. Pete, do you think that there are things that the art community in New Zealand could do to better enhance and promote the value of art and artists in our country? I think um, it needs to just drop the whole identity politics crises. Um, There's a lot of art out there and there's a lot of good art um, and... There's enough room for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about um, you, Craig? Yeah, I'd, I guess I'd like to see what Joyce and me called China speed a little bit more. I was saying I enjoyed pulling back, but I also think I'd like to see galleries, I mean institutions, larger ones, being a bit more reactive, being able to work at pace with mm-hmm. artists and curators, outside curators. They, they all need opportunities. And maybe also it means a bigger artist-run scene. Mm. And that's up to the art students that are currently happening. Well, They've got to make that happen. There's a challenge in there. Well, some interesting points to be contemplated there, guys. And thanks to both of you for being with us today. And, and thanks for being in Dunedin. And for enriching New Zealand's art scene with your highly accomplished works and your artistic presence. They're very much appreciated. And we are the richer for you having gone away, but also for you having come home. Cheers. Thanks, Sally. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Join us next month for a profile on outstanding local printmaker and painter Nigel Brown. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society websites or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.